All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the official film podcast. This is Truman Siegel. And this is Eric Pereira. Uh, this week, we're talking about some Looney Tunes. Yeah, we're going to focus specifically on the golden age of Looney Tunes, uh, usually considered as being taken place from 1944 to 1964, when it was all produced under Warner Brothers. Uh, majority of these are by Chuck Jones. We have a few from Chris Freeling and Bob McKinsum. Uh, and all of and these are on HBO Max. Arthur Davis. One yeah, there's by one by Arthur Davis. Davis. Don't forget. And uh, the, uh, they're all on HBO Max except for one, which we'll get to later. We'll get to that later, yeah. Uh, so I think the earliest one is Baseball Bugs. Yeah, Baseball Bugs um, released in uh, February 1946. It's a uh, freeling short. And the concept is pretty simple. There's like a baseball team of like giant oafish dudes and they keep beating a team of wimps and bugs is in the crowd and he basically says i could beat all these guys with one arm tied behind my back and then they put him to it basically and he does and it's it's goofy it's wacky it's fun i think this is one of the like earliest like great bug shorts yeah i'm i have never been too big on bugs uh, a lot of these are bug shorts, but I, I like when bugs is, are, is with other characters, and this is one of the only ones that's like a solo bug shirt, short that works for me. Yeah, right. Because usually, like, he works so well with, like, Daffy or, like, Elmer or Yosemite Sam, but, like, here he's kind of, like, on his own. He's a great straight man, and this he's kind of a screwball, which is weird, but... Yeah. <laughs> the thing about this one that gets me is, like, every time he uh, tries to throw the ball, like, he's, like like plane engine sounds come on like because he keeps like winding his arm up and it's just ridiculous yeah and the 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 gag at the end where he's like running and running and running and he gets in the car then he gets in the bus yeah because the taxi driver was like was one of the people on the team (laughs) like it's just the the full looney tunes wackiness it's not as violent as some of the later ones, but... Uh, no, I think, like, the only real, like, violent moment is when uh, one of the guys catches the ball, but, like, there's so much force behind it that he gets dug into the ground, and there's a tombstone that pops out of the ground that says, he got it. <laughs> and, yeah, it's just, it's pretty random. Yeah. Which most of these are, but... That's the, that's the humor of Looney Tunes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the randomness of it. Uh, the next one we checked out was uh, Odor of the Day. Which is the uh, soul of Arthur, Arthur Davis. Davis. Um, it's, uh, it's a and... Peppa Le Pew short, but it's not. It's one of the few ones where he's not like chasing after a woman. Yeah, so that was, I noticed, like, first of all, he doesn't speak until the very end. Yeah, he, he barely talks, and, uh, like, which I is rare for him. A lot, because, like, I'm not the biggest Peppa Le Pew fan, honestly, like... I feel like his shtick about being kind of like, I guess like a romantic loser type is kind of like, it gets lost on me. Like I don't really care for it, but here where he's just kind of like battling with his dog to stay warm inside of a house, it's like a really simple premise, but they like really stretch it out. And I think it works pretty well, all things considered. Which I think is a dog from the later short. He kind of looks like him, but not entirely. Well, the, Wiki- the Wikipedia article actually says that he resembles a dog from a previous short which is like strange because we were kind of discussing like is this dog supposed to be um Mark, Mark Anthony, Anthony who's one of the the famous looney tunes that only appear in like two or three shorts. Yeah, but apparently he resembles a character from a short called Dog on Cats. 
a dog named Wellington, but I don't really know anything about Wellington, so I can't really. They work well together. Uh, the premise yeah. is kind of fun. It's the you know that when their noses get clogged, they can't smell how terrible he smells anymore. <laughs> it's a it's Pepe Le Pew as kind of a, the screwball, and then the dog's kind of the straight man, and they're uh, trying to. I think the dog breaks into Pepe Le Pew's house, right? I thought it was just like a random house that they both found. Oh, I can't, I can't quite remember, which is terrible because I just saw this like a few hours ago. <laughs> it's fun though. Uh, it's nice winter, really... nice winter vibes. Yeah, for sure. Cuddle it's up with some classic. some hot chocolate. It has a really good final line because it's the only line in the whole thing. Is it a gazuntite? Gazuntite. Yeah, when they're both in bed and they both sneeze together. It's cute. It's a nice one. Yeah, I like it a lot. Probably also the least violent one on this whole list. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, I guess. Now here, uh, of the uh, of the main I gonna, ones. I was, gonna say, I was gonna say feed the kitty isn't that violent. Yeah, but the there's the implied violence. Uh, uh but there's more actual violence in this one. I guess, it's it's one of the uh, the tamer ones though for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then we uh, we move on to what it what might be my favorite out of any of these like this one kind of flip-flops with um another one we'll talk about later but it's um chuck jones's um rabbit of seville one of the the great famous looney tunes yeah i mean and i kind of i wrote down here that this feels like what's opera doc done earlier and also done better like, yeah they were they're both kind of the same premise but they both have different vibes yeah so uh Something about this that, like, slipped my mind when I rewatched it to prepare for this was that this actually takes place in front of an audience. <laughs> like, yeah. I forgot that, that the premise was that they run into a theater that's about to perform. Um, kind of ruin the show. show. Yeah, they kind of, like, invade. And the funny part is that the uh, Bugs flips the switch to lift the curtain and the conductor just kind of shrugs his shoulders and he's like, all right. Let's, let's <laughs> just go. Plays the music. Yeah. And uh, there's this. You definitely like this one more than me. Yeah, I mean, I love this one because it's just, it's just like relentless with like the gags, like um the like the bit where he charms an electric razor like it's a snake, or the fruit salad on the head and the cement which is technically beauty clay and then flowers growing out of Elmer's hair. It is nonstop, and, yeah. Like it just does not stop for a second, and the ending is amazing. <laughs> It's like the opposite of the uh, what's opera doc ending kind of, but I, but I, I love it. This is, this is really up there for me. Yeah, uh, the next one is, uh, up there for me, uh, much more than Rabbit of Seville, and that's uh, Rabbit Every Monday, oh, yeah, which this is a Chris <laughs> Freeling one from '51. It's Bugs and Yosemite Sam, and it, it starts off as kind of the oh Bugs is in his house and he's being hunted, uh, and then Yosemite Sam actually captures him. And he's, like, trying to put Bugs in the oven. Uh, <laughs> and then Bugs, like, goes into the oven, and he, he tricks Yosemite Sam into going in. And then it just has one of the, the greatest endings of any Looney Tunes. One of the most, like, it's really surreal, mostly for its use of, like, live-action footage. Yeah. Which, during this period of Looney Tunes, was pretty rare. Like, I know that during the, like, the Leon Schlesinger era, there was a lot of mixture of live-action and animation. Yeah, the early, early stuff. Yeah, but you didn't really see that that much with um, the Golden Age stuff. But seeing it here, like, and I completely forgot about this ending when I rewatched it. 
and uh, I was like, oh, it's this is it's funny. wonderful. Uh, yeah, and also I think this is like where Bugs's like accent is just so. We have to give. We haven't spoken about him yet, but so much credit has to go to Mel Blanc. Yeah, Mel Blanc is awesome. Amazing. Um, and my favorite thing about Bugs is the way he says the word "girls." Girls. <laughs> Goyles. He's like Goyles are waiting for you. <laughs> I also, I just, Yosemite Sam is my favorite of the Bugs rivals. I think he's he's just a funnier oh, version really? of Elmer. Yeah, I know. He it his his anger is just so. It's so over the top. It, it's in and it's infectious. <laughs> it's when when he's like, great. "You got to get out of that gun," <laughs> or whatever he says. Yeah. yeah, and then there's also this thing about um, a motif that kind of runs through all of these, which is like things that should not be durable are really durable. So in this case, it's, like, the bubble gum that Bugs uses for, like, half of the cartoon just to, like, harass Yosemite Sam and, like, throw him around all over the place. Like, he gets him stuck in a tree with it and stuff like that. It's it's pretty... This one's really great. Yeah, I like this one, too, a lot. Yeah, and uh, the... um, When... At the beginning, the very beginning, like, it in Yosemite Sam's version of the Be very quiet, I'm hunting wabbits. Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's on his way. He's like, I smell carrots. And then, like a shadow appears like someone in the audience stands up and he's only seen like yeah, points his gun at him right. and tells him to sit down. Yeah. He's like, if you warn that rabbit, I'm going to play. It's great. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I, that, that really took me by surprise when I saw it. I was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, they're doing some really inventive, inventive stuff. Yeah, and for sure. the next one is, uh, probably the most Marxist one. <laughs> yeah like i love that this sort of had a resurgence in the past couple of weeks yeah it's ending um we're talking about uh chuck jones's rabbit fire i think it's the it's first of the three hunting ones the yeah, not not hunting but the bugs daffy rabbit season duck season one yeah like well yeah it is known as the hunting trilogy but um i didn't know this actually it's the first time bugs and daffy appear together like at all oh really yeah, I had no idea when I, I read that, and I was like, oh, God. Like, I, I never would have known watching it. It's, like, one of the top five famous, famous, famous Looney Tunes. Yeah, right. And um, the reason for it is I know that the Warner Brothers executives were kind of worried that, like, Daffy's popularity was, like, eroding. So they were like, oh, we'll put him in something with bugs, but we'll give him, like, a complete personality change. Because before this, Daffy's just kind of been, like, a silly kind of, like, He's kind of like Bugs Light. He was kind of like a straight man at points, but now he's just. How do you describe Daffy Duck? I I think I I think he's straighter in these than the early stuff. The early stuff he's crazy. He's wild. Yeah, I mean he's pretty wild in these too, but it's just it's like, a different kind of wild. Just, justifiably so. But <laughs> it's more of like he's he's like a uh, shadow version of Bugs to like. Right. Well, then like those early Daffy ones, ones, he is bouncing off the walls. And in this, he's just like he wants right. to be bugs so badly, but he's just so incompetent. Yes. <laughs> and also, um, there's a lot of funny stuff in this one. This sort of um, establishes um, Daffy's beak being oh, really like, yeah. seminal to all of his shorts. Because um, if you if you, you move around, these, um, a lot of stuff happens to Daffy's beak throughout the course of a lot of these cartoons, and it'll, it'll It'll bend, it'll fly around, it'll come off his head, but it'll never, like, break 
bake or even like get dirty like it just kind of stays the same yeah the beak even it saves the day and looney tunes back in action that's right yeah i remember that because it's just so he just takes it off and throws it <laughs> yeah it's very interesting and also one of my favorite little um jokes is um bugs tells elmer um what are you doing hunting rabbits with an elephant gun and then the elephant shows up behind them and he goes if you do it i'll give you such a pinch and he like smashes him into the ground yeah and i, I love the um you know there's other sports besides hunting and daffy comes out in full tennis gear <laughs> it's just the the wacky randomness and also this one is probably one of the most violent ones oh yeah for sure daffy just gets shot over and over and over I know. it's pretty ridiculous but yeah and also um arthur q Bryan does literally does not get credited in the credits for voicing elmer and i think he gives a lot to that role even though it's it, not a character yeah when he um, when he says he's a vegetarian a vegetarian a vegetarian <laughs> it's such a great gag it's the rivalry between bugs and daffy is eternal but this is where it starts and it's already off off to a great start it's off the chain and the ending is incredible and one of my favorite moments in media i I think it's it's like a top three or five ending at the very least yeah all right for those of you should we give it away yeah Um, i'll probably make it the the cover image for this podcast yeah right (laughs) uh it's the um so they're going back and forth duck season rabbit season duck season rabbit season then they decide well what if it's elmer season and they hunt him uh, so it's kind of kind of class consciousness, proletariat uprising. And also something about these shorts that I never really considered is how like socially conscious they are. There's one that we're talking about later on that just blows me away with how it depicts this sort of social issue. But uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, this is by far one of the, the best ones on HBO Max and one of the best ones made. So if you're... Yeah, period. Uh, and it's also a great one to start with if you've never somehow never seen a Looney Tune before. Yeah, this is a very good primer. Uh, we're going to talk about another Bugs one next, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, Operation Rabbit, also directed by Chuck Jones. And it's unique for the reason that it's one of the f- five, I believe, shorts where Bugs comes face-to-face with Wile E. Coyote. It's also one of the few where Wile E. Coyote talks. Yeah, he only talks when he's with bugs. I'm pretty sure, and I did not I didn't know this until I read it. But this is only the second time Wiley Coyote appeared ever in oh. Looney Tunes. Yeah, so after Fast and Furious, which is the first time he showed up with the Roadrunner, um, he did not show up again until this one. And this is great. It's like every all the best part of the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote ones, and the best part of the bugs being hunted ones. Yeah. And I always felt, because, like, I've seen, like, most of the ones where Bugs and Wiley interact, and I always felt that Bugs was, like, especially cruel to, to Wiley for some <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Like, Wiley just gets hammered. Yeah. And one of my favorite ones is, um, obviously, um, Wiley speaks, and he has this hilarious... Oh, yeah. I like, did not expect Wiley Coyote to sound like that. I always forget. And it's like, is it like an English accent? It's like verging on one. Yeah, it's like nobility. 
Yeah, I guess that's a good way of putting it. It's it's kind of like a cross between English, uh, Afrikaner, and uh, Australian. It's just like, but like the rich British people in those societies. Right. It's like, and it and it, it only makes sense for him to have that voice too. That's the funniest yeah. part. Yeah. Like you don't like, expect it at all, but it's just like perfect for him. Yeah. Right. And he's a, so, uh, the super genius. Yeah, like the he has like the business card and everything. Like he brings a door to Bugs's rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's great. It's very violent as well. Wiley e. Coyote also can take a beating just as well as Daffy. I think better than anybody. I think because it's all he's ever done is take a beating. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. Wiley e. Coyote and and uh, Daffy especially that just take beatings over over and over. Yeah, for sure. And one of my favorite gags in this one is because uh, the whole premise is that he tries like a bunch of different inventions to try and get bugs. And one of the ones he makes is a flying saucer that has yeah. settings to to attack different animals. So it's like um, duck, bird, and then rabbit at the end. And so he sends it over to Bugs and Bugs comes out with a chicken man. <laughs> And so it ignores him because it thinks he's a chicken, but then Bugs just writes the word coyote on it. And then the turns it, and, and it goes to hunt. And it's it's ridiculous. It's a great gag. Yeah, uh, it's really good. And then uh, another another Chuck Jones one, because of course. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my mother and my father's favorite ones. It's uh, Feed the Kitty. Yeah, and I was watching this, and... Because I remember seeing it, like, a long time ago. But watching it again now, I was, like, surprised by, like, the wholesomeness of it. Yeah. Because more than any other Looney Tunes director, Chuck Jones just went so hard on the violence, always. But here it kind of takes, like, a look at, like, unrequited love, which is very... It's actually pretty touching when, like, um, when Mark Anthony thinks that um, Pussyfoot got made into cookies. I, I love Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot. I think they are some of the best characters, and it's sad that they were only in so few, but maybe that's what makes yeah, them so yeah. good. Probably, yeah. They're like uh, Michigan J. Frog and uh, Marvin the Martian, where they're just so eternal from, like, one or two shorts. Yeah. Uh, it's... And also, like, I was thinking about, like, like the owner in this one reminds me of, like, the owner in, like, Tom and Jerry, like, Tom's owner. Yeah. Where they're just, like, the worst person ever. <laughs> yeah, so the the plot of this one is Mark Anthony, who's, like, a giant bulldog, uh, is, like, in love with this little tiny cat named Pussyfoot mm-hmm. and just wants to keep this cat, and the mom's like, no, you can't keep the cat. Uh, so he tries to, like, hide it, and then, then the cat gets baked into cookies. Or at least he thought. Or, but, yeah, or so he thinks. Which is, which is one of the most heartbreaking moments in any of these which is him outside the window, like, crying his eyes out. It's just like, oh, no, come on. Like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and then she's, like, slicing up the cookie dough. Yeah, and oh, that's Beating great. it, and, and it's she, just... And then she gives him a cookie shaped like pussy <laughs> Which is, it's great for the, the violent aspect of it without being violent and still being wholesome. Yeah, and has a really nice ending... Where he like tucks her under his fur. It, it, this one's really. It, it's just a really a, cute this, one. This is a nice one. Yeah, this is a nice one. And then we sort of move on to. Your your uh, favorite, my favorite. Who knows? 
possibly i don't really know how to like pick one of these over yeah the i don't other. know how to pick one either but if i was like gun to my head had to pick one it might be this one yeah uh, i guess you could argue along with like a few others it is the most acclaimed of any of these and um, we're talking about Duck-a-Muck. Duck-a-Muck, once again by chuck jones um, <laughs> i came out on my birthday in 1953 yeah that's what i have here february 28th very interesting uh, it's, how would you describe the concept of it? Um, so when we were talking about, um, Daffy Duck being good at taking a beating, um, I think this is the one where he takes the biggest, like, psychological beating. Yeah. Um, because, um, the premise of this one is Daffy comes on screen to, like, perform in a short, and suddenly the scenery isn't there, and it becomes this... I would say struggle, but it's really just Daffy being, like, abused by... The animator. The animator, who, um, in one of the great... Maybe the best ending. Maybe the best ending. I don't know. We find out who the animator is, but um, Daffy goes through a lot in this one. There's just some great lines in it, too. My favorite one is... Um, he, he This is close to the end, where he's been through so much already, and then it's finally like a normal set piece and he goes fine let's get this picture started and and then the end flashes on the screen and he's like no (laughs) and i think like this is mel blank's best performance like voice performance because he is just going he's off the walls everything is on the table yeah yeah like it's ridiculous i my um, favorite line is uh when he he goes oh, like when he gets his voice back after the animator takes it away he goes and I've never been so humiliated in all my in life. My life. <laughs> it's so great. Um, it's funny because I watched this in a class last year, um, in my media studies class. He showed it to us as as an early example of postmodernism. And I at the time I was like. Okay, but then like the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, like, like that kind of makes sense <laughs> because this just feels so unlike anything that's existed anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a great one, and it's just like eternal Looney Tune. Yeah, this is this is a bonafide classic like, for sure. If only one survives into the extinction of humanity, and the next race who comes up and can read files, and they can only read one Looney Tune. It should be this one. Yeah, it should be this one, right. Uh, and the next one is even more iconic, I would argue. Possibly, yeah. Uh, which is uh, Duck Dodgers in the 24 and a half century. Yeah. Which is <laughs> one of the, the few Marvin the Martian ones. Uh, it has Daffy Duck and Porky as, like, space cadets. Kind of a, it's a spoof of Buck, Buck Rogers. Buck Dodgers. Buck Rogers, yeah, yeah. excuse me. Uh, and they're they're trying to find Planet X. Yeah, and this is like another um, really violent one where Daffy just takes it. <laughs> yeah, but so does so does Marvin the Martian. Yeah, a lot happens in this one. And Por- Porky um, kind of gets it by unscathed, but um, sort of. And this is like another one that I kind of thought touched on a societal issue, which is the threat of colonization. <laughs> And more importantly, huh. like a colonizer just destroying everything that they take, which doesn't sound familiar at all if you look at history, but. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. 
Yeah, I, I kind of got it when I was watching it again because I kind of what kind of what really struck me is that early on is that that he says this planet isn't big enough for the two of us, and then literally at the end, it isn't big enough for the two of them. Like Marvin is like hanging on to like the edge of the planet after Daffy blows it. After up. they destroy the entire yeah, I think yeah. Porky has the best lines in it though. Yeah, there's a lot of like great like visual gags too in this one, like. um um, Marvin points a disintegrating gun at Daffy, and then he's like, I have a disintegrating proof vest on. And so he shoots him, and he disintegrates, but the vest doesn't. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's great. That's And it. then, but the one that got me, because I didn't even remember it, was Daffy himself has a disintegrating gun, which when he fires, the gun itself disintegrates. It's, Daffy is lovable, but so incompetent all the time. Or maybe he's just unlucky. What do we know? Yeah, we all... There's a... I forget who said it. One of the animators said we all... We're all Daffy Duck, but we all want to be Bugs Bunny. Yeah, that's that's the best way of putting it. Uh, speaking of Bugs Bunny, though, uh, I think this the next one is one of the best Bugs Menaces, for sure, and that's uh, 1954's Devil May Hair. Right, um... One of the two Robert McKimsons we're going to talk about today, um, which is when Bugs comes face to face with um, the Tasmanian Devil. Yeah, I think McKimson, Chuck Jones is definitely more violent, and some most of the time is the best writer. Uh, I say, and all the the Looney Tunes fans are going to come after me, but McKimson I think is probably the the funniest animator. The yeah, like no, expressions sure. and the way their mouths go open wide, are it's just so funny to me. Yeah, there's a lot of funny like visual moments in this one, like um, bugs running on top of a mountain and Taz taking out the bottom part of it, and then the mountain just like collapsing yeah. into place. And something that slipped my mind about this is I always forget that Taz can actually like speak English. Yeah, he for why you put me in cold, cold ground. Yeah, right. Like, it's like caveman English, but it's also, like, I always just remember him being like, ooh. Nah, I love Taz. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah, uh, Taz works really great with bugs. They're, they're a great pair. And it ends with, I think, the most famous Taz gag, which is, uh, yeah, which, bugs. The female Taz. Yeah, the female Taz. And they're which just, I, I, they're perfect for each other. Yeah, I mean, it's a little corny, but, like, it's still, like, oh, you know, it's endearing. <laughs> How else do you defeat the Tasmanian Devil? With love, of course. Because Bugs doing his normal stuff just doesn't work. Oh, yeah. also, it also has a really cute deer in it. Yeah, which I found so funny is that... It they, looks like Bambi. Bugs, Bugs and Taz are standing by the deer, and then Bugs, like, runs away, and Taz easily could have gotten that deer, but he chose not to because <laughs> he was so focused on Bugs. Yeah, and the deer is also just animated in a totally different way than both of them. Just, like, drawn in a different way. Yeah, like, it's, it's like Bambi. It's so funny looking. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a great one. It's a very good supporting one. Yeah. We have a and lot of the we... kind of hunty ones, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say this is a hunty one as well. Yeah. Just because of the nature of it. A lot is, of the Bugs um, ones are people trying to kill him. Yeah. Uh, and then we had uh, this one, which is... Not um, a Bugs one. The, 
Yeah, not a Bugs one. The only Roadrunner Coyote one we have for today, which is Stop, Look, and Hasten, which is another Chuck Jones short. Um, the premise to these is basically always the same. The Roadrunner runs by, the Coyote is... Yeah, that's why we're only doing them. one. Uh, I think this is the best one they have on HBO Max, which is why I chose this one. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was watching this one and I thought, oh, I actually haven't seen this one. This is so weird. And then there's that moment with the bridge where I was like, oh my god, of course. Like, I remember yeah. that instantly. That's a great gag. And it also has a great Chekhov's gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot of these uh, Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote ones are kind of Do just, that. like, episodic, and there's, like, eight or nine gags in seven minutes. Yeah, and my fa- one of my favorite gags, which um, happens at the very beginning of each one, is, like, when they do the freeze frame of the one species. of them running, and they show their scientific names. Yeah. Like, Hot Rodicus, Supersonicus. Oedipus, Anythingus, and Hot Rodicus... Supersonicus is the Roadrunner. And the tiger is Surprisibus, Surprisibus. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, this is... A lot of people love the Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote ones, and I definitely, definitely see why. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, a simplicity to it, but it's also, like, a, like a chaotic simplicity. Yeah, and they kind of defaulted to just making these at some point later on. Yeah, I know. In the set. The 70s, like, it's just at, like... Yeah, like, if you look at the HBO Max seasons for that era, it's just, like, non-stop Roadrunner Coyote. Yeah, because they're, they're very... Not formulaic, but you know what you're going to do. You don't really have to come yeah. up with that great concept for them to be great shorts. And, like, yeah, and, like, and like the concept is always going to land well. Like, people love them. And they're usually always great either way, so, yeah. Yeah, I feel they're a, a slightly less annoying version of Tweety and Sylvester. Right. A lot of the Looney Tunes shorts are somebody trying to get another one, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, but then again, like that's also like what Tom and Jerry is, for example. Yeah, it's it's kind it's, of the the crazy energy of these things. It's it's just like the simple concept that can have a lot of personality put into it, and and Roadrunner is just the best because he has he doesn't do anything to avoid this. It's like unlike Tweety. And bugs and Daffy who fight back. Uh, Roadrunner <laughs> just runs, and Wiley e. Coyote's total incompetence has him fall apart. I know, which I think is what makes him great. And also, I think they've they've used the same voice actor since the beginning, even though he's been dead for like fifteen, twenty, thirty years now. I mean, how, how much material recorded material do they really need? <laughs> beep beep. Yeah, they're they're the silent is also great because they're um, kind of like. Buster Keatony, in a way, which is all yeah, all visual yeah, gag. It's just all like, um, well, slapstick isn't the right word, but like, yeah, it's all relying on visual on visuals. Uh, much more so than the Sylvester Tweedy or Bugs Elmer ones. Yeah. Uh, the next one is uh probably the most famous one. The most famous. I, it's not a solo one because there are other ones with the character. Uh, yeah. But it's definitely like the most famous. Icon iconography of the Looney Tunes that isn't just like the rings, right? Uh, and that's one froggy evening, also by Chuck Jones. Yeah, I think that like beside alongside uh, Duck and Mug, this is probably the best one they ever made. Yeah, like the great Looney Tune. I know that um Steven Spielberg said it's the Citizen Kane of animated short films, and that's like the most apt comparison. 
Uh, this I is think. the one with uh, Michigan J. Frog's debut appearance. I think it's his debut appearance. Yeah, it is. Um, um, and he he has a couple more appearances, just like uh, Pussyfoot and Mark Anthony do, and just like Marvin okay. Martian do. But they just do not stack up to this one, and this one is so towering. Yeah, so it's actually one of the few ones we're going to look at that has no voice work by Mel Blaine because... Um, the Roadrunner ones Frog. don't either. Oh, well, yeah, but um, Michigan J. Frog is voiced by um, Bill Roberts, who does like a great job with his, like, his iconic singing voice. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello. <laughs> it's great. Michigan J. And Frog, this... he's just so funny looking, too. Yeah, like the way, like, he's so funny looking when he's just like a normal frog because he's just a normal frog with a hat on they go to they they go out of their way to make him when he's dancing and him when he's normal they like they animated him differently so that the difference is so noticeable yeah it's like hilarious and the the premise is this construction worker finds the the frog when he's destroying a building and it sings but it only will sing when he was he's around uh, and yeah. he, he tries to make a career out of it and try to make money off of it, but he just will not sing when other people are there. Yeah. And it's not like he and... refuses to sing. It's like he just looks like a normal frog with yeah, a hat on. Yeah, he just croaks. <laughs> it's so good. I think this is like when I was talking earlier about how these touch on like societal issues, this is the other one I was talking about because this, this one... Um, gives such like a portrait of like greed and how greed will exist forever and how it's just like an eternal concept that can't be like shaken and i guess like for that reason it's like i guess you could look at it as one of the most depressing looney tunes shorts but it's just but it's, it's so funny as well it's hilarious yeah uh <clears throat> definitely one of the best 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 ones yeah, this is like a, at least at at the very least top three. Yeah, and uh, the next is a very sudden drop in quality. <laughs> uh, no, no shade, nothing against Bob McKinson, who this is the other yeah, one. I wish we picked more McKinson. It just came out this way. There was so few of him because he does make great ones. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of good McKinson but stuff. Rah Rah Rooster is not one of those great ones. At least yeah. in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not terrible, but it's the it's more the thing that like I've never been like a Foghorn Leghorn fan. Oh, me neither. I I mean he's not a terrible character. He's just kind of like one note. Like he's he great when he's about, like with somebody else. Yeah, right. But here he's with um Rhode Island Red, who as far as I'm aware does not show up in anything else. I I'm not sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't care to see anything else he was in because he was just such an obnoxious character. <laughs> They're both kind of obnoxious. Like, Foghorn Leghorn is funny because he's obnoxious when he is funny. But when it's him and somebody else who are obnoxious, it's just obnoxious. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like, we were talking about how, like, he could work well with, like, Bugs because Bugs can play straight to a character like him. But, like, we don't really have that situation here, which is why this one just kind of falls flat a little bit. I do think it's, uh... It's funny listening to Foghorn Leghorn and then listening to Jeff Sessions, uh, because <laughs> they they talk exactly. I say, I say, uh, I say, yeah. It'll be uh, it's 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 funny like comparing him to people, but like sitting through a seven minute short that's just Foghorn Leghorn is kind of rough sometimes. 
Yeah, it's not it's not ideal. On the uh quickly moving on is also one of the like top five best ones in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. This is the one that isn't on HBO Max. Uh um, it's on Vimeo and it's also on D V D. So you definitely yeah. will also be able to see it. But it's uh the three little bops by yeah. Frizz Freeling. Probably the best Frizz Freeling short. Yeah. I would say. Um, this it, one is like surprisingly kind of dark. It's a musical version of Three it, Little Pigs, but it's like hip yeah. and jazzy and very 50s. Right. Um, and the premise is basically the Big Bad Wolf wants to be a musician alongside the Three Little Pigs, but he can't seem to play He's a his square. trumpet right. He's just too square. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and then he just kicks kicked out, and then he blows the house of straw down, and then yeah. they move on to a house of sticks called like something. The, the I, I I literally think the neon sign says house of straw, house of sticks, and then the, house of the, bricks. Yeah, I think so. I remember I didn't really notice that until like it got to house of bricks, and I was like, well, that's interesting. I didn't realize they named they were they kept yeah. naming. Yeah, so he he blows down the first two as in the the regular tale, and then he goes to blow down the house of bricks, and he can't. And the house of bricks also says no wolves allowed. Yeah, which is funny. he tries sneaking in a couple <laughs> times, then he tries to blow it, uh, tries to blow it down, but he can't. Uh, and then he he says I'm gonna blow it up, and then he messes up. And accidentally blows himself up. And this is, I think, the only Looney Tunes explosion that actually kills him. That actually kills, like, anybody for that matter. Yeah, no, 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 no explosion. It just, you know, puts ash all over them. Or maybe blows Daffy's beak back. Yeah, right. But this, like, he dies. And he, he goes to hell. Uh, and... And in, you gotta be hot to be play real cool. Yeah, and like he's he's in a, he's like in a boiling pot of water playing alongside Satan, and then his like red spirit comes up to play alongside the three little pigs. <laughs> it's it's so catchy too. Like it's it's such a great one. Yeah, this is really good, and it's also like a very like uh, doesn't take a moment to stop kind of short, which is what I appreciate a lot is when they just when they just go go and go because that's like the yeah. best. It's a great standalone one, and there are other ones with the three little pigs. Uh, because you know it's such a story that you can retell in a bunch of different ways. So they have retold it in a bunch of different ways, and I think the wolf yeah. also appears in the one of the Daffy Duck movies or something. And I think they're in Space Jam. But like this is it's just such an iconic short, and I hope that they put it on HBO Max soon. Yeah, hopefully in that next batch. <clears throat> uh, next up is another like it's really acclaimed i don't think either you or me thinks it's deserving as its title of like the best looney tune ever yeah like if you find if you look up any like best looney tune shorts or just like best animated shorts list like this one's always number one it's or at least in the top three which i don't agree with at all (laughs) it's really good good, uh and we're talking about what's opera doc which like People, it was missing from the launch in HBO Go or HBO Max, even though they're putting on another 200 shorts later, uh, like right. later this month. But it was missing from the launch, and people were so upset that they actually they put it on. Like yeah, that's how much like people love this one. <laughs> uh, and it it's definitely good. 
Uh, it's kind of like Rabbit of Seville, but entirely encased in the story. Like, it's not like they wander into the theater. Yeah, right. Uh, the and music think, is definitely like, catchy. I mean, I think the reason this one gets so much acclaim is that because, like, out of all of these, it's, like, the most, like, high concept, I guess. Yeah, and it has like, a great very grand scale. art scale, or art, art style, too. Yeah. The shadows and the, the lightning. Yeah, for sure. And maybe it's just because I've never been that into opera? Um, maybe. I mean, and it's weird because, like, it's like, I mean, all of these are about, like, six, seven minutes long. And for about three minutes of this one, I'm like, this isn't really that good. And then um, the moment when um, Bugs's fake uh, head of female hair comes off yeah. and Elmer gets all angry, I'm like, okay, like, that's where it gets good for me. It's definitely a but, great one. Yeah, I, I, it's it's really good. Yeah, but I just don't think that it deserves the enormous pedestal that it has. Yeah, it's a it's a nice spin on the classic Elmer Bugs. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Like when he's spearing in the hole and he goes, "Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit." Yeah, that's really good. But uh, there's like some of the stuff in the middle where I'm just like, um. Like there's other Duck Amok and Froggy Evening and even like Duck Dodgers, are high concept without being tied to a previous concept right and three little bops i know three little bops is tied to another concept but i think it works yeah. better uh and then we're going to talk about our only tweety sylvester short i think which is weird because he's such like they're such iconic characters but i think yeah. they're more iconic for later shows like the tv shows than the actual original run uh yeah like, they're both, they're funny for sure, but the detective show is where most of the iconic moments come from, I think. Uh, I haven't, I haven't, I don't think I've watched the detective show. I've seen a couple episodes of it, but that's, like, where they got famous from, not from the original Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. Okay. Uh, but Birds Anonymous is the one we're talking about, because it's kind of a different spin on the formula. Yeah, so this is another, uh, the last Frizz Freeling we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it's also one of the five Looney Tunes shorts to win the Oscar for Best Animated Short Film, which uh, is interesting. I, I would have assumed they had more, but... Yeah, me too. Yeah, and this is, like, a really good one because it's just so, like, well-written. Like, the jokes in this one are just great. Like, um, when, like, they're in the Birds Anonymous meeting and one of the cats like, I was a three-bird-a-day pussycat until I came to Birds Anonymous. Yeah, it's it's a parody. I don't want to say parody because it seems like it's diminishing Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's like that for Sylvester. Yeah, and um, and honestly, and in that regard, it's actually kind of cruel, like just watching him trying to not fall back into his addiction. Yeah, and but and but then that also kind of plays into the irony of the ending, which is great. I love the way this one ends. Yeah, it's it's a real fun one. And um, um. This is another great um, case of like a Syl uh, Sylvester is voiced like most of these characters by Mel Blanc, and he gives a great performance in this one, like catching the despair of someone who doesn't want to eat birds but is just so tempted to eat birds. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't have a lot to say about this one. Yeah, I just think it's. I think this one's really it's solid. It's cute. It's funny. I like when the sponsor yeah, cracks. <laughs> at the end yeah that's great uh and we're gonna move on to robin hood daffy which is another i think it's one of your favorites 
uh yeah for sure this is one of the ones that i remember from like my childhood like so distinctly like i will never get the image out of like of daffy swinging off the tree and bumping into all the other trees out of my head uh it's another first or it's another chuck jones one from uh, 1958 and it's the last of the ones we're going to talk about with main looney tunes characters yeah uh, Elmer is just kind of it also puts Elmer in a different role which I like for or not Elmer Porky in a different Porky, role Porky, yeah. where he's just like laughing at Daffy and making fun of him which like isn't yeah, it's not normal for Porky but I think it works here yeah we're like he's on um, Friar Tuck within the uh, Robin Hood context yeah and and it's just like Porky spends basically all of this just laughing like rolling on the floor and that and that alone is just so funny yeah, also I like I like his because he's he's funny looking normally because his head is so much bigger than his body. Uh, but that like robe is the same size as his head. So it's just so weird looking and it's just so funny looking to see his head sticking up and like looking small even. Yeah. And the I like the animation of the the horse running. Yeah, that was good. Like it, like the way it like bounces up and down. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a fun play of on Robin Hood. Yeah, and then like also like the thing I noticed about this one is that like what you think is payoff, it ends up being set up. So like you think Daffy hitting the trees is like like a payoff for the gag, but it's setting up for when he runs into the boulder, and you think that's the payoff, but the payoff is when he moves past the boulder and hits the side of a cliff yeah like it just keeps going and yeah for that reason this is also one of my favorites it's definitely better than rabbit hood which is the other robin hood parody uh yeah and there's a moment in this where daffy runs and he runs almost as fast as the roadrunner (laughs) yeah daffy's fast which is so weird because his his feet are so like flat and big yeah but i mean uh i don't know and then our, our last one we're talking about is a Chuck Jones one uh, called Now Hear This. And it's yeah, so, so. another surreal short. Yeah, so this came out in 1963, which is like right before the cutoff of the Looney Tunes Golden Age. This is actually co-directed by um, Maurice Noble, who isn't credited in the short film. Um, the concept for this one is bizarre. Like there's an old British man who finds satan's ear because satan dropped his ear or something and then it turns out satan's ear is a hearing aid and this hearing aid amplifies every sound to like a frightening degree (laughs) i guess yeah it's uh it's just a really cool visualization of sounds yeah it's like a soundscape where like the visuals are always there to match it and it when i was watching this and then when I rewatched Duck Amuck, I kind of thought that this is like Duck Amuck without like a central personality attached to it. Yeah, because, I see that. Because it's it's just so much like craziness and like. And it has like a it has a different intro too, which is interesting. Yeah, because um, this is um, uh, at some point between 1963 and 1964, um, um, Looney Tunes was no longer produced by um, Warner Brothers Studios. They moved over to a different um, division, which I just can't remember right now for the life of me. But um, they had to use a different intro once they moved over. And so the new intro is really like, that intro itself is pretty surreal. It definitely matches this one. Yeah, I mean, 
past 1963 like none of the really like famous personalities show up again until they start doing like revival series and stuff like that so i think it's appropriate that everything feels so different because it really was very different at the time definitely a good one that you guys should check out yeah this is one of the better ones we also would have loved to have one with um what's beaky buzzard or speedy gonzalez or um some of the other like famous characters, but there's hardly any of those characters on HBO Max right yeah, now. Selection Gossamer. Sort of I would have loved to talk about Water Water Everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, Gossamer is great. Speedy Gonzalez is great. Uh, hopefully, it's just a blind spot that'll be fixed soon. And if you guys like this one, maybe we'll even do a follow up Looney Tunes one one day. If the next batch that hits uh, HBO Max is, like, really big, then we'll probably do another one of these. There's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, but I think this is a pretty good comprehensive, not comprehensive-ish, look at their yeah. selection. It's 18 we, of their yeah. 200. So Yeah, we covered a lot of the best stuff on HBO Max, which includes a lot of the great canonized stuff. So, yeah, and yeah. We, we covered a lot of, like, great characters, great moments, great shorts. Uh but, so, uh, hopefully this inspires you to go watch some Looney Tunes or yeah, just other cartoons. Really uh, next week, we're going to talk about the works of Kalikala. Um, yeah. Only the four that are on uh, Criterion Channel right now, though. Yeah, because we can't access um, I Walk on Water. Which is also, it's, it's a very long film, and I don't think it's available anywhere yet. Yeah, so... We're definitely going to talk about... Um, Field N-Words, Souls Against the Concrete, and Black Mother, though. Yeah, and um, Urban Rashomon as well. Urban Rashomon. That's that's a short, right? Yeah. So, sick. Yeah. We'll definitely watch the, the three features, I think, that are out right now, and then that short. Yeah. Uh, so, tune in. Uh, this has been Truman. This has been Eric. And you are listening to the official film podcast. <laughs>